Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Expect the unexpected. It's one of those catchphrases that you hear all the time in things like businesses or sports or even just our everyday lives. It means to look out for the unknown, to begin to plan now for what you might not be anticipating, to be ready for whatever life may throw your way. And it's a nice sounding phrase, isn't it? Expect the unexpected. It's somewhat of a paradoxical statement. After all, if you expect something that's unexpected, by definition, how can you expect it? And if you do expect it, is it actually unexpected anymore? But what I do like about this this phrase is that it acknowledges two important things in our lives. First, that we do have expectations in our lives, that there is our conventional wisdom and our own our own uh, experiences, and even just our own wishes and desires for how things should go that lead us to having certain expectations about everything in life. What I expect the weather to be like this afternoon. I don't know how many of us were expecting all the snow this morning. What I expect from my family, what I expect at my work, at my church, what I expect the rest of my life to be like. Secondly, this phrase also acknowledges that despite our expectations we might have, that without question and without fail, unexpected things will happen. And when they do, we find out a lot about ourselves and about others based on how we react. And all of this then helps us consider our gospel reading today from Luke chapter 4 when we hear about Jesus returning to his hometown of Nazareth for the first time in his brand new ministry. If you have your Bibles with you today, I would encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 4 and follow along. The past couple weeks in our season of Epiphany so far, we've heard about first Jesus' baptism, which inaugurated his ministry as the anointed Son of God. And then last week we heard about Jesus' first miracle, his first sign at the wedding in Cana, manifesting his glory. And now the time has come for him to go home to Nazareth for the first time. And there, Jesus will find a lot of expectations. Now, this passage ends with an attempt on his life, an attempt to throw Jesus off a cliff. And this makes the story then, the story of Jesus' life, it stands out all the more. We've already heard one attempt on Jesus' life so far where Jesus was very young and the paranoid King Herod attempted to eliminate this perceived threat to his throne, causing his family to flee to Egypt. Still, there are only a few recorded instances of attempts on Jesus' life where Jesus' life is truly in danger, and this is one of them in Luke chapter 4. And although he doesn't lose his life here, it does remind us that that moment is coming. Jesus will eventually allow himself to be crucified 
by his enemies, the the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they kill him because of his claim to the identity as the Messiah and the Son of God, and they did not believe it, nor did they want that to be true, and so they killed him for it. But here in Luke chapter 4, that's not what's happening. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they aren't even mentioned here. This is a completely different crowd. And this crowd is trying to kill Jesus, but for a completely different reason. And that reason comes back to expectations. Jesus enters the synagogue in Nazareth one Sabbath day, as was his custom. Luke tells us. In other words, this was the usual routine for him and for his family and for his whole hometown. And and today, though, today was going to be anything but routine. Jesus was honored that day. He was invited to read the scripture that day. And so he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. and, And Jesus intentionally looks for and reads a passage from Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolls back up the scroll and he hands it to the attendant and he sits down. Which would have been the the position of a rabbi, a teacher. And so Jesus begins to teach. He says, today, this scripture, this passage from Isaiah, this prophecy of the Messiah and God's presence among his people, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus was saying, Isaiah was talking about me, about what I would do. And now here I am. Now, you would think that Someone claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah would cause quite a stir, and it did, to a certain extent. The people all spoke well of Jesus, Luke says, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. But again, these weren't the people who would end up crucifying Jesus for making those claims. No, these are his friends. These are the people who have known him since he was little. These are his neighbors from all up and down the street. And it seems like they couldn't have been happier that Jesus was saying what he was saying. They remarked, is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this the Jesus we all know? Can you believe what he's saying? It's almost too good to be true. They didn't expect it, but they were marveling at it. But no murderous intentions at this point. You see, it wasn't Jesus' claim that he was the promised one that caused the people that day to oppose him. It was something else. So what was it? Well, again, it had to do with what they were expecting and what they weren't expecting. You see, after they marveled at what Jesus said in verse 22, the day could have ended there and everything would have been fine. They they would have slapped Jesus on the back on the way out of the synagogue and said, great to have you home, son. But Jesus knew that there was still a problem because they were expecting that since they had some sort of claim to this hometown hero, that it would mean great and exceptional things for them. 
They expected that if Jesus was going to do miracles for everybody else, that they would do even greater ones for his hometown. They expected that just as a physician who has the power of healing to first heal himself, that Jesus would heal those closest to himself, his family, his friends, the people from his hometown. That the good news that Jesus said he was proclaiming to the poor and the the liberty to the captives and the sight for the blind and the freedom for those oppressed and the year of the Lord's favor, that it meant good news and liberty and sight and freedom and favor, especially for them, maybe even exclusively for them. And that's what made what Jesus said next truly unexpected and truly unwelcomed. After insisting that this mentality that they might have had was precisely the reason that no prophet would be acceptable in his hometown because a prophet is going to bring God's word whether or not they want to hear it. Jesus then cites two examples from the Old Testament from Israel's own history. The widow in Zarephath who was a foreign woman whom Elijah helped feed in a time of great famine and also Naaman the scoundrel leader of the Syrian army, whom Elisha helped heal from leprosy. And Jesus references references these two instances very intentionally, these two instances where despite all the widows who lived in Israel, and despite all the lepers who lived in Israel, God decided to share his mercy and grace and love with these outsiders, with those who, quote-unquote, didn't deserve it. Jesus was telling this crowd of people who knew him that despite their expectations of him doing great things for them, that he has come to do great things for everybody, including the outsider, especially the outsider. And how unexpected is that? This is what then sets the crowd off. Forgetting that they knew Jesus and his family, their blind rage at his words led them to grab a hold of him and drag him to the top of the cliff so that they could throw him off and kill him. But it wasn't his time to die yet. And so what can only be described as a, as a supernatural event, a, a miracle, Jesus calmly passes through their midst and walks away. How often do we misunderstand God's grace? How often do we expect to keep God's love to ourselves? We know that Jesus lived and died and rose again for all people. We affirm it and hear it every Sunday as we gather. We give thanks that his love that that he has given to us. And we are aware that we have been entrusted with this gospel, this good news, so that we may share it with the world going into all nations, making disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. But is this what we actually do? Or do we expect that God will be pleased when we attempt to lay an exclusive claim on his mercy and his grace? That it's for me and not so much for everyone else out there. And if we don't say as much, because I don't think many of us would admit that out loud, do our actions 
tell a different story? Do we fail by what we say and what we do? Do we fail to acknowledge and share the love that we know that God has for the entire world, including those outsiders, including those who may seem different than us, including those with whom we may not always see eye to eye? This mentality can can lead us to have certain expectations of Jesus and how he should act towards us, that we think we deserve some kind of special treatment. So often we can come before him with our prayers and our desires, with a, with a list of priorities that we present before him, as well as a supposed cachet of, of good credit. And just like the crowd in Nazareth, we expect to cash it in. We have expectations For all of our days and all of our years and our entire life, the way that we want it to go. And when it doesn't go that way, we wonder why. Oh, great physician, we may say, heal thyself, or at least heal me. But God doesn't always do what we expect him to do. And that's what Jesus was telling the crowd that day. As he talked about this widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian. In fact, in God's divine mercy and love, God often does what we on our own, in our own sinfulness and our own self-centeredness, would never expect him or want him to do. And we always need to remember that because before we get upset at God for showing mercy and grace and love to the outsider, instead of giving us preferential treatment, We need to remember that at one time, we were the outsider. We were once the widow and the scoundrel and the foreigner who did not deserve any of God's mercy or grace. The Apostle Paul once wrote to the Ephesians, he said, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, And without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it calls to our minds that were it not for Christ climbing another hill, not this hill where he could be thrown off a cliff, but climbing the hill of Calvary to the cross, we would still be far off from him. But you see, Jesus came to suffer for our sins. He came to bear the burden of our guilt. He came to take our place under the condemnation that we deserved. And his blood then brings us peace. Peace that we could never have earned. And yet peace that brings us near to our God And this means that every day of our lives, we can enjoy the mercy and the grace and the love that God so freely gives to us through Jesus. We never would have expected God to do that for us. And yet he has. It was entirely unexpected. And it's precisely what our Heavenly Father And his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and his Holy Spirit, it's what they have done and continue to do for us each and every day of our lives. And because we know this, because we know that to be true, 
We know that even when, on those days, when God isn't meeting my expectations, even when he is working in a way that I never would have chosen, I can always be assured that I know he has my best interest in mind, that he is in the business of drawing this whole world, including me, close to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, both those who are near as well as those who are currently far off, to proclaim good news and liberty and sight and freedom and favor to all who believe in Jesus Christ, all who believe in his death and resurrection. And when we think about expecting the unexpected as we continue to live our lives in this world, especially again on this weekend where we are remembering the sanctity of God's gift of life that has been given to each and every one of us. Remember this, that for Jesus, he so often did not meet the expectations of all those around him, those who were following him, those who would end up betraying him, those who ended up opposing him. And so he was rejected by this world. But through that rejection, we know that he worked perfectly God's plan of salvation through that cross. And so now, as Christ's followers, as ones who are charged with sharing God's unexpected and amazing love for this world, well, then we shouldn't be surprised when the wider world reacts to us and treats us in a similar way as it treated Jesus. Not everybody, of course. Many will be glad to hear of Jesus, the one who lived and died and rose again for them. But there will be those who stubbornly hang on to their expectations of what they think a God or a Christ should or should not do and what we should or should not be permitted to do. And so, therefore, they may not want to hear what it is we have been given to say. We don't meet their expectations because God does not meet their expectations. And yet, Christ still calls us to love and to serve and to pray for them anyway. And so Christians, as people who are all about God's gift of life, life that we have been given by our creator and eternal lives that we have been, that we have been given by our Savior Jesus Christ, we do, as Christians, have an important confession to make in this world, a confession of life, that life matters, and that God, who has given us this life, loves everyone in this world, even when we as a human race may disregard God's gift of life, whether it's with the very young and, and those whose lives are at risk before they even have a chance to defend it, or whether it's with the very old whose lives are so easily in our culture devalued or dismissed or put to the side, or anyone in between. As followers of Christ, we continue to make that confession of life. We keep proclaiming the good news that God loves everyone, those who are far off even, always remembering that it was once us who were far off. But we know that God has forgiven our sins, that no matter what we may have done, no matter how long we may have been away, God brings us close by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this then is the continually unexpected work of our unexpected God. So much so that one might say that the life of a Christian is a life in which we continually 
and always are privileged to expect the unexpected. And in Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.